Welcome to Conversation Pace. This is Brian Rossetti. In episode 43, I spoke with Chris Fries. Chris got on our radar and we saw his win at the Louisiana Marathon. He ended up running a negative split, finishing a new personal best of 238.56. But at first, really, was just his finishing photo that grabbed us. I could tell based on the look on his face, there was a lot of emotion behind that performance. He had quite the write-up of his experience, too, so I knew I had to get him on the show. Chris attributes much of his transformation as a runner to VDOT coach Dylan Bellis. We actually had on the show earlier this season. We discuss how he got into running, dropping almost 80 minutes off his marathon debut back in 2011. Also, what his training looks like today and what's next. And I have to mention, Chris is also an ambassador for World Vision, a humanitarian organization dedicated to working with children, families, and communities across the world, tackling the causes of poverty and injustice. Check out the links in the episode profile. Make sure to connect with Chris on Instagram. He's quite the guy. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. So I'm calling you, and where are you right now? I am in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, It's the southernmost corner of Virginia, the bottom right corner right there on the ocean front. Uh, probably about five miles from uh, uh, Naval Station Norfolk. Got the world's largest naval base here. So I apologize if you get any jets in the background here. Yeah, I think I hear one now. So it's so those are are those military? You're saying, or that it's just normal yes. lights coming? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we get both, but the ones that you hear are usually either the jets or they've got those hovercrafts out there every once in a while you'll hear them and you get, you also get uh, a variety of other different military training <laughs> if you hear an explosion it's not uncommon you know that kind of stuff oh wow okay yeah and so you're uh, close how far are you from the air- operate out of here too it's it's a pretty neat thing to neat community to be a part of how far away are you from the the strip there Ooh. So we have Oceana that is, it's probably only four or five miles away from where I am here. Uh, most of the jets that I think leave from the naval base, it's probably seven, eight miles away, but they fly right over us because uh, they leave off of the, the, come back from wherever over the ocean and then land uh, right there on the naval base. So I think they, they dump a lot of their jet fuel and stuff like that before they land. So. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, wow. And how long have you been there? Are you from that area or are you moved back? Yeah. My wife and I have been here. Uh, I moved down here. It's probably 13 years ago. I came down here for grad school, uh, to get a degree in uh, film and video television. Uh, and my wife got a job as a teacher and, uh, I'm originally from like landlocked Ohio, um, South Central Ohio, about an hour south of Columbus, a little mill town called Chillicothe. Uh, and we we came down here so I could go to grad school. My wife got a job as a teacher. I graduated um, uh, grad school on a, a Saturday, had a job the following Monday. My wife was a teacher. We just stayed because it's like better job opportunities. Plus, it's the beach can't beat that so it's pretty great so 13 years um and exact amount of time that my wife and i have been married got married and just came straight down here since that point nice. two kids and lived in the same little quarter mile area the entire time wow wow and then how did running start were you running then or no is that more recent uh yeah i mean so i i played uh sports through um even being really, really little. I mean, I probably started at, you know, three or four years old playing, you know, T-ball and stuff like that. But through middle school and high school, I did um, football, baseball, and basketball with a a short, like, one-season stint in, uh, was it track, um, in my seventh grade year. And it it kind of paired up with baseball season. I like baseball more than that. So I kind of left left track in favor of baseball and, and football and then um, uh, ended up going off to to college. I ended up going to college at uh, Ohio University um, 
Athens, Ohio. They're kind of the hometown where Joe Burrow grew up. And so we ended up uh, going to college there by virtue of my mom essentially saying, hey, you can go to college wherever you want, but we'll pay for half of it if you go to OU because it was her alma mater. I was like, hey, that makes that decision easy. So um, I ended up there and uh, I, I didn't really have any kind of like physical activity or anything that I was into um, other than maybe some pickup basketball games. But uh, I kind of fell in love with this girl and uh, we, we dated for a while. Her name's Jenna. And as we were dating, she realized that she didn't have a lot of time for me. So, uh, so it was like one of those things, was I getting the, the kind of the, the, the cold shoulder or whatever. So I became a runner in order to get time with her. Cause I noticed, Hey, this girl spends about an hour a day, Oh uh, wow! you know, going out for her runs. So I became a runner just to get time with her. And it's crazy because she was like, you know, regional class, she ran 20 minutes in high school. And um, as I was in college trying to keep up with her, I literally remember like trying to, I was, at, it was like a, like a church retreat type thing. And, and I remember running up a, a hill trying to keep up with her uh, <laughs> as and we're running together, literally thinking I was going to throw up trying to keep up. And so um, just by virtue of running with her and trying to keep up, uh, you know, I naturally became a little quicker and a little quicker and a little quicker just um, over time. And, and then we started doing some races together. Uh, we started dating again. So that plan worked out well. Now we're married. Um, wow. And uh, doing some races together. And, uh, you know, as as a guy running 20 minutes in South Central Ohio, like you're finishing up there with the top females and that's so that's kind of always where i tried to stay this <laughs> is like trying to keep up with the fastest girl in the field and then by two yeah. of just realizing hey this is kind of fun i just fell into it and and really just started loving it so sh when she was just going out for runs was it like you know i challenge you to try and keep up or did, uh, did she just assume you could keep up or was there like an expectation? Yeah. I never really asked her if like she was trying to drop me or not, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I do remember working hard um, and I, I remember not wanting to uh, slow her down, you know, trying to you know work really hard to, to be there and keep up with her. Um, so I'm not too sure if she was actually trying to to make it hard on me or if it was just her being really fit still. What year was this now? Uh, uh, so that was probably two, 2005-ish, I would guess. Okay, so that's kind of your introduction. And then you started doing road races and, and it kind of just went from there. Yeah, um, so it was funny. Um, we would do like little turkey trots and 5Ks and stuff like that together. And I never really took it that seriously other than to just be with her. Uh, I really, really, even to this day, we just loved to, to race together and, and be in that atmosphere together. Um, but I didn't really uh, take running seriously at all until in grad school, probably my third year of grad school, there was a gal who said that she wanted to run a marathon and she she was the wife of a really good friend of mine and i remember her doing it and being uh, you know, doing a really good job at it enjoying it loving it and just kind of looked at that and said i think i could do that um i had probably done a couple half marathons up to that point and and felt like after it i could do more so by virtue of seeing her do it uh I jumped on board and we had the Shamrock Marathon here. It literally like leaves. It starts probably less than a mile from my house. And um, I just popped in the Shamrock Marathon. I think that was back in like 2011. So there's a big gap between when I um, started running in my first marathon and um, just jumped into that. Not really, you know, just wanting to finish, I think, under four hours was my goal at that point. And got in that, did, did okay. Uh, and I 
kind of felt like one was enough at that point. And I really don't even remember what it was that got me back into it. But then around 2015, 2016, after kind of really getting into like P90X and that whole craziness, wanting to get into some kind of more organized, structured sport and everything else ended up being, you know, you're, you're in team sports. And if you're trying to stay fit and not gain weight, it's, it's, it's hard to do that if you're not doing it on your, on your own, having some self-guided stuff outside of Rex. So I think that's probably what attracted me to running. So the, the, was it 356? That's what I noted in 2011. Is that's, that right? Was that the first one? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's about right. Um, 2011. I remember just kind of squeaking in under four hours and, and being pretty happy with that at the time. And, you know, a lot of that was just treadmill mileage, having no idea what I was doing. Um, just, I don't, I don't even, I probably got like whatever runner's world marathon training plan I could find and just picked up that and just started going. So no, like workout it was just like hitting miles. Yeah, it was, and, it was yeah. probably just everything straight raw mileage. I can't imagine that at that point there were any kind of real workouts. Right, right, right. And then, but then it sounds like there was, it wasn't like, it wasn't a hit from right then. It was like, there. then there was a break. It didn't yeah. sound like there was a progression 2012, 13. It was, you still weren't really anywhere near you know what you're doing today yeah. i'm not talking about performance wise but just being really immersed in the sport and and part of your life at that point yeah exactly and again i can't i can't really remember why like why i picked it up and started to, i think i think my wife jumped into a half marathon we we had for a while they just had the last one this past year had the rock and roll marathon series and i remember my wife jumping in a half marathon there uh, and enjoying it. I, I probably did it with her. And I seem to remember that may have been kind of the thing that, you know, jump started us back into, you know, trying, just trying to be healthier. And uh, at that point, I think we stumbled into a running community around here. And just by virtue of other people around us, your friend groups kind of being involved, we, uh, we ended up, you know, really diving in pretty deep. Right. So, fit, so it was always fitness, like wanting to be fitter or having issues around that, um, that kind of kept bringing you back. It wasn't like, it wasn't some kind of success or. Well, I think initially that you had running wise. Yeah. Initially. Yeah. But I am like hyper, hyper, hyper goal oriented against with like myself. Mm. And I'm always trying to like improve myself. Um, and I think it's just once I figured out like that I could continually improve in this area and running is one of those weird things where it's, it's almost like a one for one, like the work you put in is the results that you get out. And there's just not a lot of things in life like that. <laughs> and I think that's what I really liked about it is that I knew like uh, whatever effort I put in, I was going to get some results out and I could see progress. And I think that, that kind of goal oriented, uh, nature just naturally said like, okay, this is something I could commit to for the long term." And somewhere along the line, I decided that I wanted to, after running a marathon or two, just, uh, I think I, I had a, a buddy who did the, the world marathon challenge where you, you run a marathon in every continent uh, and did that all in a week. So he ran seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. And I remember thinking that was really, really cool. And I was like, well, if he could do that, that sounds really expensive. And I don't know that I could ever afford it. <laughs> I like that idea. Um, and maybe, maybe something like, you know, running a marathon on every con or every uh, in every state, I can do something like that or every continent. So I think somewhere along that line, I got that idea in the back of my head and that kind of big goal jump-started the, the interest in that area. That's cool. Awesome. So then we obviously connected when you won the, the Louisiana Marathon. You're working with Dylan Bellas on VDOT. Um, so we 
we talked about 356 in 2011. And then this year you ran 238.56 in Louisiana and took home the win. And you wrote about it and we were struck by just the, you know, the energy behind it, the story, um, just the excitement. It was just a really cool thing to see happening on the platform. But get us from like, when do you really start train, like actually training for goal races? And then had you been working with coaches? Is Dylan like your first coach or, you know, tell us a little bit more about that progression. Yeah. So I think, so 20, around 2016, I, I had run uh, the Outer Banks Marathon and that was my second marathon kind of getting into it. And that was, you know, a little bit better. I did like 342. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, I jumped into the Columbus Marathon, got a little better there, 326. Uh, and at that point, something in me said, hey, I bet I could qualify for Boston. I mean, I was still really, really, really far off uh, from that. But there's something in there that I was like, I bet I can do this. Because uh, I, I mean, at that point, I'd already seen the my marathon time drop by like 30 minutes. And so I was like, okay, what's possible? And so jump online, I started looking for literally the hardest marathon training program that I could find that I didn't have to pay for. And I just started doing it. Like I wasn't making any of the times on the, the, the workouts or anything like that, but I was, what was it? Do you remember? I have no idea. Uh, but I, I mean, and it was probably only like mid to high thirties in the mileage. It, 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 there are a lot harder marathon training programs that you could stumble on on the internet but for whatever uh yeah. maybe it was providence that i didn't find something harder but um yeah so i ended up on that one uh and then after kind of going down that path of just trying to run the hardest workout that i ever could uh ended up doing uh 304 in the, the shamrock marathon here and that was like my first bq but i ended up getting the BQ, but I think my three of three of five was like what I had. And I was only like a 56 second buffer there. So it was like, that's not going to get me in. Uh, and the weather that year was just absolutely abysmal. It was, it was sleet in the face. It was super hard wind. You get the wind coming off the ocean front here and it hits you really, really hard. And I, they may have had half of the field drop that year because <laughs> the weather this was is, so bad it was this is the shamrock the shamrock marathon 2017 got and, it and it was so bad um at that point i i knew uh i had a time but it wasn't going to be good enough to get me into boston so i contacted the only coach that i knew um and uh who was a um uh, just a, a coach of a friend of mine and said, hey, can you put together like a one month training plan for me to try to let me do a reboot here so that I could run another race? And then literally uh, like a month later, I jumped in uh, Pocono's Run for the Red Marathon up in Pennsylvania because it was the fastest marathon east of the Mississippi with the highest BQ percentage. And it was a month mm -hmm. away from where uh, I currently was. And, and I had done like all of the the race comparisons on, uh, you know, find my marathon where it has like the, the, uh, calculator that converts, like you run this marathon, you run this marathon under the same fitness. And here's the time you can expect to run. And it, it was like, going to get me like, save me like five minutes or something. So I was like, yes, I'm signing up for this one. And then, uh, so I run, you know, this one marathon, this one month marathon, uh, training plan. And then I end up running like 257. Uh, so I should, I should wow. seven minutes off. Uh, wow. it, it was like shocking, but the, that's just like how bad the weather was here at, uh, at this right, place. Right. And, wow. And so at that point I'm like, okay, I start, I start training for Boston. I do some pacing, um, at a local marathon here. I run Boston and I kid you not like jump in Boston, 2018, worst weather in the history of the Boston marathon <laughs> and half of the elite field drops out 
And I'm just, I know that I know that I know that I can make it through all of that race because I ran, I ran a, a race that was like far worse weather with like sleet hitting me in the face at 45 mile an hour gusts. And, uh, and just thinking like, I am not going to let this, this weather steal my Boston marathon experience. And, uh, uh, you know, ended up finishing that race. It's like the, the iconic, you know, Des Linden win. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was, it was really, really special, but I, I knew that that race had prepared it for me. And so like at that point I come off of that, I, I had run Boston. I started running with uh, a local running group, um, it's uh, called Endeavor Running, and there's a, a really good coach there, uh, masters runner in this area. His name's Rob Hunter. I worked for him, worked with him for about two, two and a half years. Just really generous guy, uh, helping me out, and uh, he ended up helping me a lot. I mean, at that point, once I started working with him, um, I run. Uh, I think I ran what three. Uh, 306 at Boston and then 303 with him and then did a 250, I think was the first full cycle I did with him uh, up at Mad Marathon and, and got a podium up there. And then from that point, we just started working and working and working and working and then COVID hit. Um, so I had a couple marathons in between there. Uh, I had run New York. What were, you, what were you running? Like how much training were you doing when you ran 250? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. so... So with him, he was really, really big on just straight zone three. And I, I've never met another coach who was, who was like that um, at, or ever even heard of it. But, you know, he was just really big on just run most of your miles in zone three. And uh, so I, I had just been doing that. And I think at the peak I ever hit with him was like 90 miles. But. I think in any given year, I never averaged more than than maybe 40 over the whole year with him. So uh, 40 was kind of like the base. There are a few cycles where my total average, average was around like 50. Uh, but like I only had like two or three weeks where it was like 80, 85, 90. And that was I don't think that was uh, him like popping it in there because he, he thought that was like the best for me at that point. I think he was doing it because I said, hey, I really want to break 100. <laughs> and he was just kind of, he put it in the middle of the summer. And, you know, nice. when there's like no races around, he was like, okay, if you want 100. Um, and then we ended up kind of topping out around 90. I think it was like 93. So I still had yet to pop that 100, which I'm really hoping to do. So, <laughs> yeah. I'd worked, I'd worked with him for a couple of years and then he had some pretty serious health issues and said, Hey man, I gotta, I gotta pull back. And at that point I just started scrambling. Uh, I was like this, it was like a pretty deep emotional experience for me. And I, I had had a couple friends in the running community here. Um, Megan Cunningham was one of my training partners who is, uh, Dylan's girlfriend. Oh yeah. Yeah. So okay. she, she, I'd, I'd run with her. She'd run Shamrock Marathon uh, the same year I did over here, and I knew she was something special. Um, and we had run, and I, I said, Megan, I think I think you could go after it, and you could get your OTQ here. And so, kind of that cycle building up to her getting her OTQ. I don't know if maybe she did it here, or she was just a minute or two off here. Um, I can't remember exactly, but we had kind of built a friendship, and she kind of she moved. Uh, after you know, being in med school here to, to pursue running you know, more. But so she moved away and kind of stayed in touch. I said, Hey, you have any ideas on it, on a coach? I kind of have this situation. And then she's like, yeah, I think I got a guy that would work really well for you. And so she connected me with Dylan and it has been incredible. This guy, <laughs> this guy is brilliant. He is brilliant. <laughs> Uh, I can't understate that enough. Like I love working with him. Um, and like, besides being absolutely shell shocked that, that I was working with like a, a two time Olympic trials qualifier and feeling like completely inadequate and like imposter syndrome to the stars or like, even like the chance to work with this guy, you know, super intimidated. I've just been so grateful to work. When did, when did that start? When did this relationship start? Yeah, I think it was February 1 of 21. Uh, oh, okay. 
So yeah, very so recent. We're yeah. just barely over a year working together. And actually, Louisiana Marathon was literally my first full cycle with him. So it was um, uh, before my first good cycle. So I had kind of stumbled into working with him like two months before I had a marathon. My, my other coach, he, he, he got sick and I uh, had told me that he's going to have to step back. So I started scrambling, trying to find someone else. And Dylan said, yeah, I'll help you. Um, and, uh, you know, I got maybe a, a month or a two month cycle with him and got injured pretty quickly. Um, and we were just kind of figuring out together, like what needs to go in to, to supplement and what I'm doing, because at that point, like I, I wasn't doing any cross training at all. Um, my, my drills, I was religious with my drills, but they weren't really addressing any of my weaknesses as much. Um, so he was really good about you know, f- helping me figure out after a couple injuries of trying to, you know, do his, his program. We were trying to work out my imbalances, had me at a PT and all kinds of different stuff. Um, and then we, once we figured out, okay, we've got a, a nice workout routine, some kind of prehab type stuff, uh, some good stretches. Um, we kind of hit a balance point and that, that was where things just started working. Like I was able to start hitting workouts and actually, uh, it, it felt like things were going clearly in the right direction. And that was after, um, I had run one marathon where he had a short cycle and that was uh, Myrtle beach marathon. I didn't do bad there. I ended up getting like 12th there. That was my first, the reason I really wanted to, to, uh, to get into that one is it was my first, uh, offer for like, uh, a comp elite bib. I was like, nice. You know what? I want to be in this. Like, I don't even you made it. like stumbling through it. Right. Uh, so it was just really kind of special moment. And so he was like, yeah, we'll, we'll do this. Uh, it wasn't a PR or anything, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So first full cycle was uh, Louisiana marathon with him. We're actually releasing, I interviewed Dylan couple of weeks ago we're releasing the podcast with him um this week actually it's just uh it's yeah. great yeah yeah so check that out um he's just um so on point just seems like such an intelligent coach um and it's it's nice to hear you say that because there's there's a lot of coaches that will be great in terms of individualizing training but the more we're learning like the strength component if it's not dialed in and individualized too and, and you find the right balance then you're just not going to thrive you know you're just not going to get as much out of this as as you possibly can so that's great to hear that's it's almost like a bonus because they're um, oh yeah a lot of coaches kind of overlook it maybe or maybe they don't spend as much time there because you know the running you know takes up a lot of the work and stuff but um so what does that routine look like now like as part of you know how much when you do it what types of exercises that are maybe new to you yeah well and uh just uh, you know talking a little bit more about him he and then (laughs) so he the the crazy thing about him is not only is he like elite in his running but he also has his like master's degree in coaching. Right. And so how rare is it that you have someone who, who themselves can perform at that elite level, but also has like the elite level, like coaching background. So I it just, you know, he knows the science of it. He knows all of that stuff. Um, so when I am like, you know, hitting him with all these questions, he, he, he just backs it up with, really, really, really good stuff. But yeah. So in terms of like a given week, I have just always, um, found that for me, six days a week is, is really nice. Just feeling that I'm kind of injury prone anyway. Um, like that extra day, um, really helps me get that extra recovery in there. It's also helpful for me mentally to know that like, I'm going to work really, really, really hard. And then I'm going to have my Sunday off, uh, and just do some rest and spend some time with family and stuff like that. And and so in terms of like rhythm, um, most of my runs, uh, and most of my workouts and stuff happen at night. 
after <laughs> my kids go to bed. I got a, uh, you know, my bride here and a, a three-year-old and a nine-month-old. So we try to put to bed and then and then get my workout in. And so wow. my buddies give me a hard time because it's like most of my workouts start at like 8.30 at night. And, wow. you know, getting us together to, to do workouts together can be tough. You're meeting up with friends and stuff. But so it'll be, you know, late night runs in the dark. It's really nice because we have uh, the boardwalk down here that's lit literally uh, year round. So I got a nice safe place to run on the bike path or the boardwalk but um doing a lot of that stuff late at night or on the treadmill here through the winter that was kind of found out uh kind of the hard way that um having kids for myself i was going to need to get a treadmill if i was actually going to be able to to continue to to keep up my running and, and have that kind of uh you know mental space for myself um so that was a big win but you know traditionally speaking it's it's about 15 to 20 minutes of, of drills and form work. Um, and mm-hmm. every other day I try to pop in there, um, you know, uh, like strength training type stuff. So, uh, he's really big on, um, the kind of single leg stuff, focusing yeah. a lot on, you know, every single time that you take a step, you're going to be landing on one leg. And so that leg has to be, has to be strong. So doing a lot of the, you know, single leg wood chops, single leg deadlifts. Um, and then, you know, the rest of a lot of the other stuff around it um, is, is kind of building to my weaknesses. I have calf issues after calf issues after calf issues. So doing a lot of single leg calf raises, weighted, unweighted, uh, single leg isometric stuff where I'm you know, standing on one leg, holding a 20 pound, 30 pound dumbbell, um, for 30 seconds and then switching the other leg, doing the ISO there, um, some, some, uh, uh, you know, toe, um, toe lunges where you just up on your toes and doing, you know, weighted lunges with offset weight, weight on the same side, just trying to put your body in as many different, um, imbalances to try to offset the the muscular imbalances that my body has had um you know with it just totally destroys my calf and then um you know when i'm using like uh, the vapor fly or alpha fly or stuff like that i find for me it also torques on my calf even more so the fact that i really like that shoe requires me to do even more like you know calf raises calf work all that stuff so um, but yeah, lots of isometric stuff and then filling in a lot, a lot of gaps with like, um, uh, you know, weighted bridges and different areas yeah. that I have, um, other issues. That's awesome. No, thanks for getting specific on this stuff. I've had a lot of calf issues too. And the single leg hops, um, have really been incredible, um, helping me kind of get over that just to be more consistent. Um, Interesting. And I'm fascinated by the late night running. I actually like, I feel better running at night, but my concern is always like, is it going to happen in terms of consistency? Like if I, if I get it out over with in in the beginning of the day or first thing, then I'm more likely to get it done. But when I used to do it, I remember it would kind of mess up eating and sleep that you don't seem to have that issue. I with those two young kids. I, I, I do, but it's just kind of like taking the good with the bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like I'm, I'm on point with the kids in the morning. I take them to, to uh, daycare. And so um, getting, getting them up and taking them to school. Uh, my wife's a teacher. And so she leaves at like five in the morning. So the, the early morning run for me is just like not possible. Yeah. So, it, it does mess with my sleep rhythms a little bit. I've kind of, um, you know, shifted my nutrition around a little bit more to, to help with that, making sure I'm getting like enough magnesium, enough zinc and stuff like that to help out with, uh, making sure I fall asleep earlier. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's a constant battle. It's not ideal, but it's just kind of where I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm survived. Yeah. Um, everything revolves around those kiddos now. So, um, 
I I, I hear you. I, I'm I'm just kind of picking and you know seeing what we can learn because there's so many parents obviously in the similar situations um, yeah. who probably are trying a lot of different things. You just do it when you can. It's a bummer, right? Because consistency, like when you go to sleep, how long, when you run, you know that stuff's important. I remember having an athlete where constantly juggling. I mean, there was just no way around it, but when they're doing workouts and week to week, it was just even last minute switching things up. And it's so hard to train like that without consistency. It's like the Jack always says the most important word is just consistency with everything, you know? Yeah. And I, I have to credit my bride to that a hundred percent. Like she just knows I am a better person if I get my run in <laughs> and, and just recognizing that like, I need that mental space. Uh, just to, to, cause I work from home. <laughs> so I literally like, yeah. I could see no one all day long, uh, and, and just in my house. And so having that time, uh, even being like a really social person, having that time to leave and go out with my buddies, even if it's a super late night run, uh, and, and get it in. She, she is amazing at like offering me that, that time to, to get it in. We just make it fit right with life. Um, trying to trying to balance it all out yeah oh man so hard and I, now i like struggle if you're really busy with work because i'm working from home too and managing the app and sometimes it's busy and so i won't go run or i'll have that tendency to be like ah if i run it's really gonna eat into what i gotta do but then I'm learning that like, no, like I'm more organized when I get the run in and I, I get a lot of good ideas when I run, you know? So oh, yeah. it's, when I miss that, I lack that organization or like semi, oh yeah, let's do this. You know, it, this is a good idea. Let's, let's roll with that. And I don't get that stuff sitting around, you know, cause you make yourself busy when you're sitting around the desk at home or you get stuck. Like you said, like sometimes I'm like, shoot, I haven't gone outside yet today. You know, like I got to step away. And um, it's it's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of those things where like (laughs) it's it's funny, you know, taking time after a marathon for a week or a week and a half, taking that downtime. It's kind of like some of the worst time for us uh, because my like three, four days into it, she's like, man, when, when are you going to be able to run? So he was <laughs> like, you need, you need that time to like, you know, just de-stress and that kind of stuff, you know, unwind. And, and it's real, man. It's, uh, it's, it's just as much, uh, like, you know, the, the de-stress, the, the mental release and, and all that stuff that to process the day and all that. Yeah. And, and I usually say like, cause I'm same, I hear that often. It's like, cause everyone gets in the rhythm, right? That consistency, they love, they thrive in routine. And, um, but so important to kind of take a break too. And, um, so I'm always like, go for a walk. You know, they're like, what can I do? What can I do? Like, I can't run yet. You know, why not? I feel yeah. fine. You know? And it's like, well, go for a walk. No runner wants to go for a just a walk by themselves, you know? Um, so, uh, that's funny. So talk a little bit about Louisiana going into it. I think what I conjured was that winning was not really an expectation, right? I mean, were you in there to PR run as fast as you could curious what you guys were shooting for and, but was the win just kind of something that came out of executing your plan and it was just a surprise or did you think like you had a shot? It was a hundred percent shock, like (laughs) just straight shock. So I wasn't even supposed to run that marathon. Um, I was, I was eyeing a much smaller marathon in Georgia just to kind of check a state off. Um, and what, what happened was, um, so I had had like oh, through COVID, I had like five different marathons that had been canceled. Mm. And this one ended up being canceled, but not because of COVID. So we had this monstrous storm that just started coming 
and it was covering. I, I remember looking at the, the the chart, covering every single state east of the Mississippi, <laughs> and and, uh, and it shut down the race. They they like canceled the race like I don't know 40, 48, 72 hours before because the weather was going to be so bad, and I was just like, what are we going to do? Like we had our our hotel squared away. We had our kids. They were, they already had like their daycare arrangements and all this stuff. And, uh, I just looked at my wife and I said, we're going to run a race. I don't care where it is. We're going to, we're going to find a race. And so like literally was texting with Dylan. I said, help me find a race. We're going to run one. It just got canceled. And he's like, here, here are two or three that you can make it to. And, uh, I, uh, I I literally looked at those and said like okay logistically I can't make this happen because I can't get there fast enough because uh, it was such a short window um, and then this one uh, it's not going to run because it got canceled because of the storm and then it was like okay Louisiana Baton Rouge it it was literally like the only uh, s- like small section uh, east of the Mississippi that had. Uh, uh, didn't have this storm cloud kind of covering it. <laughs> and, and so we, we drop into there. Um, uh, we had Hilton kind of shift all of our, uh, our stay over down there. We booked nice. some flights. We were planning on, we were literally planning on driving the 16 and a half hours or 18 hours or whatever it was down there to be there. <laughs> but, but we just kind of, uh, I, I was up all night thinking about it. I was like, this is not the way to run a marathon is to drive. 16 hours and get in at like eight in the morning, the day before the race. Mm. <laughs> so, so we just scratched that and we got flights and, and sucked it up, but uh, which made for a much, much better uh, experience just all in all. So we, we fly down there and, uh, and my wife ends up running the, what they had like a quarter marathon which is like 6.55. Uh, never heard of that distance prior to it. It was really fun. Uh, it's Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. So she had a she had a great time there. And and for her, it was um it was her first race back uh, for her longest race back after having two kids. So it was it was big for her uh on that side. So us as a couple, that was a big deal. I had a chance to get away as a couple and have some time. Um, nice. which is really special. And then like that whole day, I was just thinking like, okay, um, the weather was going to be, it was going to be like 31 degrees at the start. And it was going to be like 15 mile an hour, uh, sustained winds. I was like, oh, I'm just going to run my race. And I was texting with Dylan, like, you know, what should I wear? Like, what should I, uh, you know, what paces should I run to account for this wind? And what paces should I run to account for <laughs> And by the way, he was running the Houston Marathon like literally the day before or the same day. So yeah. he's, he's getting all of this stuff <laughs> and, and, and runs an OTQ, by the way. So he, I don't know how he does that because like as a yeah. coach, it's so hard, even though like, you know, there's still a lot of energy that you're putting into your, uh-huh. your clients thinking about um, like it's I don't know how he does it. It was, it was, it, it shocked me. I, I like, I, I was like sending him like, I'm sorry, feel free to not answer this. Like, I know you're preparing for literally like the biggest race of your life. <laughs> so, uh, so he's yeah. like planning your outfit for the day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's like, do I wear just a singlet or do I wear a singlet and glove? You know, this, like these questions that don't matter. Right. I mean, they do matter, but they don't matter in the context. Uh, anyway, um, so I'm looking at the times on there and literally like going down to Jekyll Island, I had, I had podiumed. That's where I wanted to run the marathon that got canceled. Uh, and I wanted to at least podium down there. I felt good about a chance of winning that marathon. And then it got canceled. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go over here. I'm going to run a PR. It's a fast, fast, flat course in Louisiana. I'll just run my race. We'll see what happens. There was like no chance ever that I would ever like, I, I may have an outside chance of podium, like maybe like a, I don't know, 20% chance or something like that to podium, depending on who showed up, but like no chance over like the last decade of ever winning it. So I just, kind oh, of, wow. okay. 
And uh, so <clears throat> I get there and by virtue of the, the marathon starting the same time as the half marathon, uh, we ended up running. It was the half marathoners and the marathoners went off at the same time. And so the, it went out super fast and you have no idea who you're racing. Mm-hmm. Because we had some people who they were running in um, like had like shirts on over top of their bibs. And so you didn't know, like, are they in the field? Are they in the field? I don't know. And so I'm just kind of running my race. And um, we get to the point they were going to be there with us for the first 10 miles. My plan there was to just run really, really comfortable. Dylan had me running. I think it was like 15 seconds. 10 to 15 seconds less than what we thought I was capable of there in the first 10 K. Um, and then just kind of start to crank it down in the second 10 K and then, you know, see, see if I was racing or what, what situation I was in. So we go through the first, the first 10 K and I'm running with all these half marathoners. I feel like super, within myself and the group that I'm with, but knowing that I just really need to stick to the plan. So I, I kind of tuck in behind these guys. They're um, all these half marathoners I found out later. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to ask them questions as we're going to figure out, like, <laughs> am I racing you? Am I not racing you? Cause there's a bunch of people ahead of me, right? Cause there's a bunch of half marathoners. Um, and Did that help with the wind, Chris, you said it was pretty that, windy. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and that was my strategy. Like if I could, if I could tuck in behind a bunch of these half marathoners, I had read something somewhere. I don't know if it's true or not, but I just kind of call it a gospel, um, that you get like a five to 7% energy savings from like not having to fight the wind. So I just kept thinking that in my mind, it's like, Hey, you could, you know, you could run five to 10 seconds faster than this, but they're giving you free time by just tucking in behind them. So I tried to do that as much as possible. And then around mile 10, um, they peeled off. And at that point, so they peel off. It's, it was it was like a, a U-turn for them. Uh, they peel off and there was a, a, a guy kind of handing out water and just making sure that people were going in the right direction, half marathon and marathon. I asked him, I was like, hey, what position am I in real quick? I think he, he told me sixth at mile 10. Okay. So I, I keep going and then my wife was waiting for me, uh, just to cheer me on. And she yells out at me, uh, Hey, you're in fifth place. Uh, like you got two guys ahead of you, like 45 seconds ahead. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm in fifth place. Like, so I don't know where I am. I'm clueless. Like am I fifth? Am I, am I sixth? I don't know. Um, but I start thinking to myself, like, I'm going to have to start doing some work if I want a podium. Like, She's saying they're 45 seconds ahead. Like, I definitely know I can make 45 seconds up based off of how how I felt through 10. And so from there, I just start kind of cutting it down. And uh, I, I, I felt like, you know, the uh, 10 to 15 seconds faster was like where I, I, I could you know, kind of live better. I think the first the first uh, 10K was like a 6.15 pace for me, which I had run a couple of marathons at that six, the whole marathons at that 615 pace. Um, and that, that was a fair amount slower than what we thought I was able to do for, for this one. And, uh, we get there and, um, I come through, uh, a couple, it takes a, a, a good long while to catch up to those two guys. And once I was able to catch up to them, I just kind of sat on the heels of, uh, one of the guys for a little while and, and recovered from, um, not having any kind of wind cut or block for yeah, and doing a lot of extra work, more work than I wanted to do to get to that point. And then, you know, it was probably 30 meters ahead of him was the other guy. And so I, I tucked in there for a little while um, and then went after the next guy. And, and he came to me much more quickly than I thought. Uh, and at that point I was feeling pretty good and knew that, um, so I, I passed fifth place, passed fourth place, um, and I was getting ready to to go up to uh, try to get third place. And people started yelling stuff from the side. I wasn't exactly sure, but there was, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before when you were running a race, but 
there were kind of multiple like out and backs that were stuck in between the race, right? So you hmm. could see you could see your competition um, late in late stage of the race, like a minute or two into the future. And there was one point where I could literally see the whole field that was ahead of me. I was like, wow, this is uh that these guys are a lot closer than I thought that they were. And so I start kind of cranking it down and catch up to uh, the guy who was in third place. And at that point, um, I stayed with him for miles and miles and miles because um, I knew like it, I had, I felt really good and I could just sit on this guy's heels. And what point was that, Chris? So you were 120, 49, I noted at the half. Um, yeah. And then what now you're up to third. What, yeah, I would say I'd have to go back and check, but I'm guessing that that's around mile like 16, 15, nice. 16, something so like that. Mentally, you sort of redirected like how much did it help? You're just focused oh, on bringing in the next one versus like, shit, yeah. I'm second half of the marathon. This is hard. I've got how much to go. You know, And that's that's part of Dylan's brilliance. He's like, he's like, you're going to give up a few seconds on the front end more than, than you should, but you are going to catch these people and what you get on the, the back end in terms of a mental boost is going to yeah. far outweigh any kind of time that you give up on the front end. And so you're just catching people and you're catching people and you're catching people and you're just feeling, you're feeling invincible, right? Cause you yeah. just, the field is coming to me. Uh, and I, you just, like I'd only run one marathon prior to that with him and run it in that way. And I remember feeling the exact same way. So yeah, you're feeling really, really good. And you're looking strong. Like you're going past these guys and they are hurting. Um, Cause they, they run like the way that it, it, it was set up is it was such a sparse field that every single person was fighting that headwind the entire time. And I'm able to kind of tuck in behind a lot of these guys with semi-fresh legs, uh, tuck in behind them, and then just kind of make my move whenever the next opportunity presented itself. Um, so I was feeling really good about that. And then um, I, so he, this, the guy who was in third, um, super awesome guy. He, he saw what I was doing in the beginning and he, he started doing the kind of go left, go right, try to keep me from kind of tucking in behind him. <laughs> and I, you know, I tried to play nice with him and said, Hey man, let's, let's do this together. And, and, uh, he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. And, uh, and, and then at that point I just kind of stayed behind him and <laughs> let him do the work. But, uh, we, uh, we, we go through, it's like four or five, maybe even six miles of headwind. And I just stayed behind him the entire time. Wow. So, until we ended up coming up on uh, second place and and I saw se- second place off in the distance, I said, oh, my gosh, man, like he's there and he's coming to us really fast. Let's go get him. And so you said this to the, the guy in third? third place. I was like, let's do this together because um, I, I knew I was going to get more out of myself if I could get him to kind of come with me. And and I thought at that point um, I I, you know, I kind of felt guilty. I was like, I kind of owe it to him. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, he was probably feeling drained, though, and was yeah. like sensing you had all this energy. And he was like, shit, you know, the, well, and, trouble. And that was the that was the thing. I was like, hey, like, you know, come with me. He's like, OK, go ahead, man. I'm following you. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, yes, like because I had no intention of like I, I knew that's when I was going to make my move. I told myself at mile twenty three. That's when I was going to just leave anything left out because I knew I didn't have a whole lot of headwind that I had to fight anymore. Um, and I was I was warm enough. You know, 31, it was cold. My hands were cold, but uh, I was warm enough at that point. And, and uh, we had an, enough race left that I felt like that's how, where I had to make my move. And I knew that I had enough energy to do that pretty darn hard. Wow. And so through the first... Uh, First, you know, 10K, maybe even half marathon. I think I averaged like a 6.15 or something. But like there were miles there where I was doing like 6.4 or 5.40s, 
five forties, maybe even like a five thirty five, five forty five. Like they wow. they were really quick comparatively speaking to that. And it was all like that mental energy that I got from Dylan's strategy. Um, and so we we caught second place really, really fast. And I get to there. And as I, as I saw him, I, I came up onto him. And my intention was to do exactly what I'd done to third place. Just sit on his heels and then plan on out kicking him at the end. But as soon as I come up behind him, he, uh, he looks over to me and he, he says, first place is just a minute a minute out. You can see him up there. You can catch him. I was wow. like, are you kidding me? This guy literally just gave me his spot. Uh, like he is not putting up a fight here. Uh, I was like, okay, that was like the energy that I needed. Um, and so I look off ahead. I see, I don't actually see the, the guy, uh, from what I recall, I see the, the police cruiser headlights leading the way. Hmm. And and I get this energy in me. And it's like that was the moment where I knew I'm going to win this race. And it wow. was crazy. It was like so crazy, man. It was like this, I saw it in my mind's eye all come together. What and, was your last mile? Was that like your fastest or no? No. The, so it wasn't even. The, so we were I think I think this was like you still had a few this was around mile like 24 or something like okay. that. So mile 24 and 25 were I think those were two of my faster miles. And that's when I like had caught second and caught third. And I was passing all of these other people. And this is where like the half marathon and the marathon kind of met up with each other um, to kind of finish out. And so all of the half marathoners are there on the side and they're like pulling out their phones, they're cheering, they're yelling and like, you know, all that stuff. And it's really cool. And, uh, and, and you start coming up on this, um, uh, the guy who's in first place and I start seeing his silhouette um, and I'm coming up on him really, really fast uh, and like kind of surprising how fast. Um, and uh, I remember that uh, I, I come up on him and I, I've heard that this, this buddy of mine, he, he is a far better runner than I was. He's like, you know, don't ever, don't ever like, you know, do exactly what I had done all of this time. Uh, don't sit on it and give them a chance to to catch you. And for whatever reason, this time I just like ran right past him and I didn't like give him a chance to kind of, you know, tuck in behind me or anything like that. And at that point, um, you know, the bike lead was there and I remember the bike lead kind of, uh, was starting to fall back because of the headwind that he was getting and, the uh, the headwind was pushing him back. And I started kind of going in front of the bike lead and the bike lead looked over and, and then he realized, hey, this race had changed. Um, and he was no longer leading the, the other guy. He was with me. And so he started pushing really, really hard. And we tuck it up behind the, um, the police car. And then at that moment, right around that moment is the very last turn. And in, this is, it, it's one of the cooler experience. I'd, I'd run 13 marathons prior to that, but this is one of the coolest experiences ever. You can actually see off in the distance, it is a skyscraper and it's the, the, the Capitol building there in Baton Rouge. And it's the largest Capitol building in America. And at the base of that skyscraper is the finish line. Mm. So you get the, uh, uh, you take this, this right turn onto it. And uh, it's the kind of the main stretch in Baton Rouge there. And it's just lined with people. Uh, and, you know, it's the first race, real race back after COVID. Hadn't had any people at any of my races prior to that. And now the streets are just lined with people. And you got the police car leading the way. And it's just surreal, man. I just started like. <laughs> like got emotional, yeah. This is not real life. It, it was so like out of body experience. Wow. And as the as the, the police car kind of leads the way down, um, the, the, the police uh, cars on the side that are supposed to block the traffic. Right. They're they're not able to stop the traffic. And so there's still like there's literally traffic running left <laughs> to right as I'm coming up with the with the lead police car. And so I'm kind of like swerving through traffic. No, <laughs> to make, make my way down this main drag. It was kind of scary. Um, Jeez. and then, uh, and then we run down the, the police car takes one last turn off. Uh, and, and uh, 
um, running down the main stretch there and out of the corner of the eye, out of the corner of my eye, I see my wife and she is just screaming like, <laughs> man, and I am just bawling, like bawling as I, uh, as I run up there and I cross the line and it was unbelievable. She had seen you what closer to the half and, and you were like in fifth or sixth. So in her mind, that so the la- that was the last time she saw you. So in her mind, it was like, "Holy crap!" You know, yeah. she yes. wasn't expecting you to come come down first. It, yeah, it was funny. So I, I had a, a news article that uh, kind of explained it really, really well. Um, yeah, he interviewed me afterwards, and it was really cool the way he looked at it in his eyes. So I'll try to explain the way he explained it. So she saw me at mile ten, and oh, no. knew I was in fifth place. She knew what my uh, my goal was in terms of the goal finish time and knew, uh, I guess at the, the, over the PA, they had announced that the leaders and they used plural, uh, were at mile 24, uh, and they were on their way. And so she kind of did the backwards math in her head based off of what pace she thought I should be running, uh, in order to finish on time. And she kind of knew at that point that I was one of the leaders and then just started flipping out. So for like t- two miles straight, she was like, oh my gosh, this could be it. This could be it. This could be it. And then when she sees, uh, she, she actually recorded it uh, online. And when she recorded it, you know, you could, you can hear her just in her voice. She's, she's, you know, losing it, man. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. That's amazing. So is it right? You were just under 118 in the second half. Is that right? Is uh, that second half split? You know, I should know that, but I don't. Um, I think it is, unless I'm um, miscalculating, but I was just curious, uh, first of all, great lesson for everyone in terms of how to manage a marathon. You were out in 120, 49, finished 238, um, 56. So um, what was your fastest half coming in? Just curious. High 117. No. Yeah. Wow. Um, Incredible. Pretty sure. But it's so interesting because mentally, so many people struggle with that idea that they're going to actually pick it up in the second half of the race. But you're out there just focused on the next person and not like, man, I'm going to run a one eight. I got to run a one eighteen, you know, to win this race or one seventeen in the second half. There's no way I can do that. You know, that's the fastest I've ever run for a half, you know, well, so mentally. I didn't, um, at, it was probably around mile 20 that I just started kind of running off a of feel anyway. I didn't, yeah. I didn't look at my, my watch at that point. I tried really, really hard not to, um, cause I knew, I knew that, um, if I, I did look at my watch, I was going to question my ability to hold certain paces, but I knew what it, it should feel like, right? Like I had, I had hurt really, really bad before in marathons. <laughs> And I knew this wasn't that. Uh, I knew I wasn't hurting at mile 20 like I normally would be hurting at mile 20. So I just started running it off of feel there. And, and for the first time in my life, I felt like I got my nutrition right on a marathon. Um, and that helped me not, you know, have any kind of stomach issues. So, yeah, it just it uh, it was like not thinking about the time, just thinking about like pure racing at that point, really. That's great. Such a great lesson because everyone, I think they're so hooked to the watch versus effort, especially on a windy day. Yeah. And then just if you see it's not happening on the watch, then I don't know how you stay positive. You just it's like a slippery slope. It just goes downhill, you know, mentally and and understandably. Right. You're, You're like so fixated on this time goal and what pace you have to run and in mile 12, if it's not going well, that mile, then it's just could be devastating to some people. I mean, it's so turning the watch off and so incredible story, man. It's, well, yeah, uh, don't, and don't get me wrong. Like I was, uh, if I wouldn't have made a PR, like I would have been upset on the day regardless, <laughs> regardless of how it went down. But I, you know, around what mile 15 or something, I knew I was going to easily make my PR. So I wasn't worried about that. And so everything else was just straight icing on the cake, you know? Well, my coach in college used to always say like, forget the, you know, time because the sport and on 
at least in track came became so much about you know is it going to be a fast race is there a pacer um you know is the race going to go out if it doesn't go out fast then you know this is a bummer and he was just like you know, trying to get back to basics just race you know run the race compete and the time will come um so it's nice to see that like how that kind of played out for you in this way um what's we got to wrap up but what's what's next what's the what's on your bucket list what's keeping you motivated at this point yeah um so um, I got the big, big, big one is the Berlin Marathon. So I'm running with a, a nonprofit called World Vision, and I'm trying to get 20 kids sponsored on uh, leading up to the Berlin Marathon. And so, you know, for me, you know, this this has been really kind of crazy. And it's like, you know, news outlets uh, running stuff. And I was like, I want to use this to kind of make a difference. And so for um for the Berlin Marathon, I'm hoping to get 20 kids sponsored um, through World Vision. And so that would mean that those kids can, you know, have a uh, food, education, uh, a home, you know, clean water. And uh, so that's that's the big goal. Um, you know, it'd be nice to get a PR and go over there. But you're going over to Berlin. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to podium at Berlin. I'm not going <laughs> to Berlin. Right. So uh, it's a it's a little bit bigger uh kind of you know me more meaningful thing i've had i've been signed up for the berlin marathon for two years this is the third year it's been canceled two years in a row so just kind of working towards that um so that's kind of a a big meaningful one um you know long term i'd like to run a marathon in every state like to run a marathon on every continent like to keep doing prs and just you know literally see what's possible like now that Dylan has kind of showed me that like mm. literally anything is possible. Like he has, he has made my jaw drop with uh, showing me like what I'm capable of and like, you know, believing that you're capable of more. So it's, it's been a pretty crazy ride. Nice, man. Well, we're excited to follow along. I'll include, send me a link for world vision. Um, so we can include in the the profile the episode when we release it we'll mention it thank you man um, we'll, we'll check it out yeah that sounds awesome um and we'll be cheering keep us posted and um best of luck with those kiddos and um and with with future training we'll be cheering from afar thanks man i appreciate it and i love what you're doing with this podcast i've had a chance to listen to all of these episodes it's like how does this guy know so many like olympians and (laughs) it's really really cool man so thank you i appreciate you bringing this perspective i appreciate that thanks chris it was awesome it's a pleasure good day i've been over here